Nothing discussed with Robin Arndt in this conversation is meant to diagnose or treat any condition or takes the place of talking with your own healthcare professionals. Well, aloha, everyone, and welcome to another conversation to take us from anxiety to clarity. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich from Sutter Health Kahimohala, and this series of conversations is a project of Evan Leong of Brain Gain Hawaii, along with Trisha Kajimura, my colleague at Kahimohala, and me. And our hope is that in hearing some of these conversations, this will help to ease the impact of COVID-19 and help us to work through this really seminal time better, knowing that we have heard a lot of what's going on within our state in the field of mental health. Now, it's been a few weeks since we last talked. We took the 4th of July holiday weekend off, and we came back to a week that if ever one could be characterized by fear and frustration, well, this one has been it. Why? Well, we had the highest daily count of COVID cases this week. We also found out that one of the major labs that does testing doesn't have enough reagents because the supply chain is a little dicey. And we don't know what may be happening with that. And those two things have conspired to really cause our leaders, our government leaders, to rethink whether or not our state is going to be reopening to trans-Pacific travel on the 1st of August. Really, what they're asking for is some assurances that there is a testing protocol that will work. And uh, that means before people arrive here, being able to get a negative test. And while we're Working all of that out as a state, we have the tourism industry that is truly frustrated because it was set to open itself as of the 1st of August and has been gearing up for that. And now everything is just in limbo, which is also adding to the fear and anxiety surrounding the pandemic. So today, as all of the community is concerned about how we go forward, we thought we would take a look at what's happening with those who are training to be mental health professionals. This is a very different world that they're learning in than, say, even some of their friends who were in in training even a year ago. So that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to be talking about the impact of the pandemic on the next generation of mental health professionals with Robin Arndt, who's an instructor and field education educator at the Myron B. Thompson School of Social Work at UH Manoa. And I'm really glad to be talking to you, Robin, because we're, we are all concerned about what happens as we see this next wave of mental health coming at us and mental health needs coming at us and who is going to be there to meet it. And the people that you are instructing and working with are in a very, very different environment than, as we mentioned a, month, a moment ago, Oh, you know, some of their peers. So what are you hearing from them now as we've been in the pandemic now for four months and, and not really seeing any real, uh, you know, glimmers of, of great hope this week, especially given all the, the fear and frustration that I talked about earlier? Yeah, thank you. And thank you so much um, for the opportunity of um, speaking with you today and talking about all of the um, all the changes, the, the adaptations and such that uh, we worked on and continue to work on to train the next generation of mental health practitioners. Um, you know, in, in thinking about where the students are now, I have to actually take a step back and think about where they were in March uh, when we first started this and this movement from 
what they had anticipated to be their educational experience, their training to a moment where um, one week we had students at field sites or at um, locations doing their practicum experience, learning um, from skilled practitioners out in the field to um, the next week, them having to stay at home and having to adapt all of their educational training to a new environment that included online simulations. It included learning how to do telehealth and how to be in this environment uh, that they weren't necessarily ever thinking of uh, practicing right away at a, at a graduation, right? Like down the road, perhaps they would be in the telehealth field. Um, but it, it was a, a big change. Uh, and with that, the same emotions that each of us has been experiencing, that anxiety, that fear, that anticipatory grief, the, the isolation, um, were components that we had to work on from the very beginning with them to be able to um, digest it, to understand it. Uh, because in order to be a helper, in order to help others, to be a good mental health practitioner, we have to learn about how these things are also impacting us um, before we can help to alleviate or reduce some of the stressors, anxiety, the uh, emotional turmoil that others may be facing. Um, and so that's kind of where we started. And I think that's also where we are right now, even though we've, um, we've grappled with, we understand a little bit better how we are experiencing anxiety or depression or uh, how social isolation is impacting us. There's still a lot of unknowns. And so we're making plans for the fall um, but we don't know yet what it will truly look like until we have better understanding of if the disease is controlled, what are organizations doing? Are they able to take back students into their site? Um, what does it mean um, when we have a student go to a facility? Are they going to have the necessary PPE precautions? What does it look like at the agency? What um, changes have they made and how do we adapt to them? And how, do our, how does our student learn to adapt to it as well? Um, and so right now, that's really where we're at. We're, we're thinking about um, what comes next. How do we both uh, plan for a experience that they'll have to really gain the necessary face-to-face -face skills while also having to be able to quickly adapt to either moving back to a quarantine type of setting or moving back to a setting where they could be at their house, um, socially isolating. Um, so kind of like a concurrent planning type of situation. Yeah, that's a huge journey for so many students to have made in a mere four months and facing yeah. as many unknowns, not only just in the short term of what will school look like come the yeah. fall, will, will they be able to go out and be engaged in, in field work? Uh, what will they be seeing when they go out into field work at whatever time that they do within the time that they're training, but also the longer term impacts of all of this what does this mean as they carry it forward into their professional lives and what then are they going to be seeing over the next 5 10 20 years depending upon you know what their area of expertise is i mean we're very concerned about how children are feeling yeah. the impact of all of this as they are trying to learn well you know depending upon how you define a child and where you really think adulthood be good. I mean, I think that Rudolf Steiner said it was you know, someplace within the early 20s of uh, that, that sense of, of consequence and understanding of consequence really begins to solidify. But however you want to define it, you have a lot of young people who are feeling what they're feeling now, 
having to assess everything that's coming at them now with the, the kind of judgment that they do have now, which may not be the judgment that they have at 30 or 40 or beyond. So I want to yeah. unpack some of this in a bit yeah. and, and look at what's happening on, if we can say on, on an average day for a student that you're working with now, how has this journey looked very personally for that student? So, you know, um, uh, that's a, there's a lot of little pieces. So I'm trying to think best how to start. Um, I, I think one of the um, uh, optimistic things that comes from this in terms of a training standpoint is that we will now have a, um, a generation of practitioners who are going to be adaptable. Um, they're going to be skillful at having to maneuver face-to-face um, -face, uh, interactions with their patients well, also now we're going to be able to easily and readily move to a, a, a telehealth or a platform like this to be able to provide um, therapy or counseling or support services. And so the adaptiveness that the students are learning, I think, is a, a, a critical piece um, that's moved forward, I think, mental health and, and, and health in general um, years, right? Because we've been moving towards telehealth and now we were forced to do it in a very, very short period of time. Um, so I think you have that with them, right? They're learning how to be in a virtual space for um, a long duration of hours. Uh, many of us, probably all of us, have been in uh, meetings like this or have talked to our family like this. Um, and how is it for you? Like, do you, at the end of like an hour, do you feel exhausted? Are you ready for your next meeting that you're going to be going to on a platform like this? Because I know that I'm on a lot of meetings and I get really tired from being. Oh, on are you asking camera. me? Yeah, I'm asking. Oh, like, okay. You're oh, I tired, you right? Right? I thought you were yeah. talking rhetorically about the, about how yeah. you're talking to a student. Yeah, I think I think it is much more difficult because there is an energy that we feel from each other when we are face to face. Now, some people, there are some interviewers. I know uh, Terry Gross is one of them that prefers to be completely alone and not yeah. with someone when she's interviewing but in general i think a lot of us pick up social cues from each other when we are physically present even though i can see you now there are different things that are being masked by the screen because i'm not sitting next to you exactly. so there are all those little things that begin to change our experience as we're using you know any any sort of technology to be able to communicate yeah. with each other and i know that you know i have so many meetings and phone calls and you know we're on zoom we're on webex we're on teams yeah. whatever it may be that yeah it can be really exhausting so much so that i was talking to my son and i said so let's just i really just want to see you and talk to you he said, mom yeah. i feel the same way you do it's like we have so many of these now that boy you know aside from just checking in briefly it's it's more fun to just talk on the phone and walk around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can see. I, I think that builds some empathy, though, because you're you, yeah. you understand, and others will understand the the complexity of being. We're on camera um, a majority of the day, whereas when we're meeting face to face, we don't see ourselves, we don't see our appearance. But now we have a camera that's directly in front of us. We have to think about our surroundings and what our surroundings are are saying about us. Um, even in the beginning, we, we did um, uh, modules with the students to help them learn how, how to present 
on a camera like this, how to be present, how to remove distractions, how to think about what the um, their back is going to say, whether or not right. their surroundings is going to add in too much intimacy into the environment. Um, but that exhaustion, right? So our students are still doing their placements. They're still out doing right now telefield. So they're not at the physical location, right? They're doing exercises and activities and um, assignments and such uh, from their own place of residence. But they are going to be in this type of environment where they'll be meeting with clients over a platform like this. Uh, and that is, it's exhausting. It's tiring. And so that's another thing that they're having to learn to adapt to is how do I ensure that I'm going to be uh, able to be present for three, four, five, six clients in a day um, through this technology? As well as like learning how to read um, the nonverbals when we only have a certain amount of uh, the physical body that you're seeing, right? Normally when we're in an uh, environment where it's face-to-face, you see um, the entire uh, person right you see you see when when they like they move their body and they close off because something's uncomfortable you see things in terms of how they cross and uncross their legs and part of that experience is now taken away from them and so they have to be uh, more uh, in tune to what is the voice saying what is the facial expression saying Um, but we we have students who do this as well as are on phones answering calls and so it's a variety of different skills that they have to be uh, in tune with at different moments in order to really be uh, learn right. and, and to be and to be uh, present for the client. Right. I'm also um, hearing from practitioners yeah. that when they are doing even those face to face on those rare occasions where they may be in a hospital setting and they're doing a face to face and someone has to wear a mask, obviously, as yeah. does the practitioner, that that's taking off a lot of the facial expressions and the cues that they would normally see and that they're refining how they read eyes. I felt that that was fascinating when someone told me this, that they're just really learning how to look deeply into someone's eyes without them really knowing they're looking that deeply into it and being able to read a lot of those little cues that might be enmeshed with other things that they would see if they saw the whole face. So all of us are learning how to refine some of our senses and know how to approach other people too. Even when you're in the grocery store and you're shopping and you're looking at people, you know, when someone smiles at you with their eyes, you know, those, those little things that we can tell. So it sounds like for a lot of your students having to take this incredible catapult into this brave new world of how much technology we're using and for all very Mm -hmm. good reasons, but they're also having to figure out what's that line between the, the private person and the public professional? And how do you negotiate that? And how do you create an environment that says, this is where I'm being my, my public self or my professional self and, and not show something, as you mentioned before, that might be a little too intimate. We're not going to send, you know, be in the bedroom or what have you. And a lot of people, you know, especially if they're, at a dorm situation, or if they're sharing an apartment or a house, sometimes you don't have a whole lot of privacy. And that's gotta be a a tough thing to negotiate too, as they're trying to help other people negotiate their lives. Yeah, and uh, you hit hit the nail on the head there. Like we, many of us, all of us are living in multi-generational houses or we're living with roommates. And so even having having to negotiate um, the, the time and where you're located, 
Um, we've been in, I've been in lots of classes, right? Or facilitating classes where someone will be walking back and they're not even aware that they're on camera, right? Because it's a family member. Uh, and so it has also required us to help help them learn how to negotiate conversations with their um, their roommates or their family. Like, like keep your pants on? Meeting. Yeah, like, hey, I'm <laughs> going to be on this meeting. You, you remember my camera's going to be on? Like, I just keep that in mind. Uh, I often have to start off when I do classes. I have to warn people about my dogs and that they might be walking through at different points. Like, our whole life environment has changed so drastically and dramatically that we don't necessarily escape work. Uh, we don't escape education. We are living and working and learning all in the same environment. And that requires a lot of um, due diligence and, 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 and uh, thought. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to hit on is, is we're, we have to continue to help people learn how to be a, a good digital citizen, right? Like you, um, being a mental health practitioner, um, we often talk about like the use of self, um, whether or not it's appropriate use of self or not appropriate use of self. How do we learn from our own experiences and use them? How do we listen to our clients um, and engage with them? But we also have to be aware that when we put something on the internet or we put something out there, that it's a reflection not only of our personal um, person, but also, but also our professional being. And that's a that's a it's a big lesson for a lot of people to have to learn really early on um and i think this is exactly like made it even more uh, uh it's increased our ability or opportunity of helping them learn those types of experiences now rather than later I, yeah I, I would say especially when you talk about the age group that you're discussing that has grown up you I mean that cohort of folks many of them grew up with the idea of that it's fine to talk about everything and anything and to put it out there yeah. into a, a virtual world. And for some, they've been haunted by it. Others got a little bit more savvy a little earlier, but that, mm -hmm. that very thin, thin line between the public and private self, which is, is tough for people to negotiate. And yet we get these insights into that very private self. I mean, you're not sitting in an office somewhere where I'm looking at a blank wall behind you. I can see a painting. I can see yeah. a bin. I can see lots of other things that may tell me things about you. And in some ways, maybe that is a good thing. Maybe we have connected at a human level, even though we're working yeah. through technology to do it. Yeah. And that could very well be like, I think that um, as we continue on again with so many more practitioners doing telebehavioral health or doing therapy on these types of modalities um, that we're going to see more literature come out about what this really looks like. How does it impact our clients? Um, but on the other side of it, like there are also um, concerns in terms of when we're working with our, 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 our client or patient, if we're doing telehealth or telebehavioral health, like where are they located? Do we know their physical location in case they're in a mental health crisis? Um, helping them to understand that we can't uh, ensure their privacy sometimes mm -hmm. because they could be on their iPad or their phone at a park right. and people could be walking by and they don't have headphones in. And so there are all these other um, privacy issues and ethical considerations that um, have been there, like they've been present, but now they're, I think, amplified um, for our students. Um, so and, yeah, I, I want, yeah. I want, can I stop you there for a second? Because yeah, please, being please. just, just pushed headlong into a very different learning environment. Mm -hmm. Are your students scared about all this? Are you feeling that there are deep concerns about this is too much, too fast? You know, they're not full-fledged professionals. They're learning how yeah. to be professionals. 
is this really frightening to them or are they somehow enjoying it? And the reason I ask you that is because we've heard from a lot of younger people who really are craving face-to-face stuff, that they feel like they're operating, as I mentioned, even, you know, with my kid operating on lines so much that they're just looking for either if I can just hear your voice and imagine you, but I don't want to be looking at a screen. Yeah. I, so um, I would say that uh, our, our, my experience with our students is that they were really resilient. Like there, again, in the beginning, we had to do a lot of processing and we continue to process from the time we went into quarantine until the end of the semester about what does this look like? What does this mean for us in the future? How do we learn and adapt to this? How do we manage our own um, self-care in these situations? Um, but they're, level of resilience um, and adaptability was so commendable. Like they Mm -hmm. took on the challenges um, head on. Uh, They found ways to support one another and do things that are necessary to be able to fulfill their requirements, knowing that they're going to, again, they want to go out and they want to help people. But then there becomes this another challenge um, that was not something uh, that I think any of us were thinking about until we realized again that we're remembering they're graduating and it's licensing and jobs. Um, yeah. <laughs> and with, with many of our mental health um, uh, professional uh, fields, there's a certain amount of time after graduation that you're, you're doing a clinical experience um, where you're being supervised by someone so on and so forth. Um, others are going through various levels of licensing. So in social work, um, when you after you graduate with your master's degree, you have the ability to pursue your license, uh, which is a licensed social worker. Um, but the ramifications of COVID, um, the testing facility, uh, now means that we have a decrease in the amount of slots that are available for students to test to be able to get their mm-hmm. license, um, which is earning potential. It's job opportunities. And for those, uh, so these are current students, but we also have, again, practitioners who have been out in the field uh, working towards their clinical license. They've done their 3,000 hours worth of supervised experience. They're seen as an essential worker and they need to get this test done. But again, we don't have enough um, slots available or opportunities for them to take the test um, so that they can get the license so that they they can start practicing independently, that they can, again, pursue more job opportunities. Uh, And with the unemployment rate the way it is, that's another real big concern, not only for the student uh, who's graduating, but also um, for the student who's going to be a practitioner thinking about the impact on their clients. Uh, Like, we can't forget that unemployment rates being high, it impacts uh, uh, our mental health, it impacts our our adaptability, impacts our self-worth sometimes. And so, when we're in a pandemic, we're unemployed, all of these things, there are, again, are going to be long-term consequences that we're, we're not seeing yet because we're still in the midst of everything. We're still responding to the increase in the number of cases this week or um, to the unknown whether or not there's going to be people coming in on August 1st with the testing or, or not, or if they're going to open up the economy or they're not going to open it. Like, we're still there that we haven't even, we've begun to th- think about but we don't know what the long-term impact really going to be and how are we, how do we respond to it when it's time and how do we equip the students to be aware of it and responsive to it as well. With all of what you've just talked about and that, that the way it's being felt and how all of this is landing with our students, we really haven't talked about is what's going to happen to society when we need all of these people. 
And yeah. with the testing issue that you brought up and, and the lack of slots to be able to do that, the uncertainty over jobs, who's going to be able to get a job watching jobs from the state either not being replaced or sliced and diced, a lot of issues that must be swirling around. I'm imagining that some of these folks may even be entertaining the idea of not staying here. Has that come up at all? Uh, it, we So we have a... Um... Yes, uh, yes, and uh, there again, uh, we have a population of students who come to Hawaii to pursue their degree requirements, and then um, they'll either return back to where they had originated from, or their home, or some other area. I myself, I'm I, I was originally from Wisconsin, and then when I, after I completed my degree, I moved to Hawaii and pursued my, my career here. Um, so there will be, or there have been students who have already again left and gone back to the continent to pursue career opportunities there. Um, we, uh, we, we really have to be aware of and think about the need for mental health practitioners and social workers. We often talk about the need for primary care physicians, like there's data out there to support, or not to support, but data out there that, that indicates that we have a lack of um, primary care physicians to respond to the population. And the same is gonna be true for our mental health practitioners. You know, they're, you can think of it as like different points in your career. Um, we have individuals who have been practicing and have, have their private practice. They do therapy. They see clients. They've been doing it for a long time. It's always been face to face. And now those individuals had were not seeing people face to face. Some of them adapted to um, the situation of uh, being telehealth or telebehavioral health. Um, but some of them might not actually go back to a setting um, or go back to their career, right? They might choose to also retire. And so as we talk about businesses um, closing their doors, I think we have to be aware of and in tune to what is happening in our nonprofit sector and whether or not there's going to be closures there or impacts to them and staffing, um, which is where many students would find careers and jobs. Um, we have to be aware of the potential that we could see a decrease in the number of mental health practitioners in the future because of um, COVID and there was like the costs associated with opening the practice, keeping their practice, the billing and insurance issues that they experienced um, in the midst of all of this. And so are we going to see a decrease in the number of practitioners? And then if we have a backlog of students or new uh, practitioners who can't get their license, what is that going to create in terms of urgency and need? Um, we don't have really good mobility and portability with our licenses, meaning that, um, mm. again, ethical considerations. If, mm. if I'm seeing a client who's residing in Hawaii and then they go back to California, ethically, I'm not, I, ethically, legally, I'm not licensed in California, right? I'm licensed in Hawaii, they're in a new jurisdiction. And how are we going to support them when we can't actually practice to see them because we're supposed to be licensed in two jur jurisdictions, there's not um, this easy way of doing it necessarily. Uh, and so there's going to be, again, I think a big, big urgency, a big need in the future that, again, we're really focused on what's going on today um, in, in society, but we also have to be thinking about what are going to be the social impacts of this long term and how are we going to respond as a community? I think everything that you've just talked about is the coming wave of, of mental health on all those different levels. Uh, what they're going to be facing, what society is going to be facing, how we're going to negotiate between the two to be able to meet needs that very clearly are still evolving. Um, in some of our conversations over the last few weeks, 
for um, in this series. I mean, we've heard from people say time and time again that, look, they're seeing people who are coming to them for the very first time, recognizing that they had a need. People who weren't in that pool of clients before, and some who have had to, to drop away for whatever reason, but it's not necessarily an even situation or even exchange. Yeah. So knowing that it's growing and will likely be growing exponentially, especially when you're talking about the needs of first responders, um, mm -hmm. teachers, everyone who is out there having to cope with this day in, day out with other people in a way that those of us who are working from home or working remotely are not necessarily dealing with in the same way. Although, you know, we all have impacts too, as, as I know you know. Yeah. All of that says that we need more focus on, on mental health. For such a long time, there has been that disparity between all the conversation and all the attention focused on physical health, even when we knew that mental health and physical health go hand in hand with each other, that we aren't, you know, bifurcated human beings where, you know, where we're split. And this is all just your physical self and this is all just your, your emotional, mental uh, self. But there seems to be a growing awareness, at least yeah. anecdotally that we're getting more attention. We keep talking about this as being, well, if there was a silver lining, maybe this might be it. Yeah. But how do we translate that into some real policy and procedures and changes for all the things that you've just talked about when you have so many lack, you know, we have so many things where there, there is a lack, whether it's testing or whether it's actual people to be serving under or whether you have someone moving ethical considerations, all these things, just the confluence of all that. How yeah. then do you see that this is going to be evolving? Yeah, so I think uh, another thing that has been um, a focus of um, training and education for new practitioners and um, kind of follows um, where, well, follows like where we're going hopefully as a society is the, this idea of integrated behavioral health. And so training um, new practitioners on the idea that they don't operate into a silo, uh, but rather we operate as part of the interdisciplinary team um, and increasing the opportunities for students while they're in their educational experience to um, work with other disciplines um, so that we have a better understanding long-term about how to utilize one another. Uh, it also allows, though, other disciplines like medicine, nursing, uh, pharmacy to appreciate and to understand better what a mental health practitioner or a social worker would be doing and, and to learn how we can leverage one another. So I think that's actually... Um, another thing that's been emphasized even more now during this time, and um, hopefully we'll continue on that trajectory because we have to learn how to work smarter, not harder, right? A uh, whole uh, holistic perspective in working with our clients um, or our patients and helping them to not only tackle the um, physical health ailments, but also the mental health components that go into it, or something we refer to as social care. Um, there are other aspects outside of either our mental or physical that impact our health, um, including the environment, our living situation, whether or not we have food to eat, if we have benefits that we can claim. And so how do we leverage those supports as well to really ensure that, again, this individual who's coming, this patient is really propped up for success. Um, with that, and I think another thing just to throw out there and to acknowledge is that there's there's still a lot of health disparities um, that exist with our ethnic and minority populations. And we see that with COVID as well in terms of how it's impacting um, different groups of people in different ways and the, um, the level of impact in different uh, communities of color and such. And, 
And that also has an impact on how we practice and how we view things and how we understand um, like the world around us and the policies that need to change as well as the impact for, you know, change in the, in the future as well. So Robin, are you hopeful? You know, I am. <laughs> um, I, I actually am. I'm getting all like uh, choked up at the moment. No, um, I, I am. I really, really am. I, uh, uh, I was so um, impressed with our students towards the end of last semester as they, uh, again, were preparing for graduation and um, understanding that they're not going to celebrate in the way that they did. But they, I mean, they banded together. And the amount of work and things that they had done throughout their program, but also in the last um, six weeks of the program, right? From the middle of March until the middle of May, so about two months rather, um, it was uh, impressive, it was inspiring, and it left me with uh, a sense of hope for the future that you know we can really tackle uh, a lot of really hard issues that we need to tackle as a society um, that we will um, learn from this experience because this is an experience that at some point will end and there will be something else in the future that we'll have to respond to but i'm hopeful um, that we have spent enough time talking about and analyzing and thinking about these things mm -hmm. that we will be better prepared for the future um, if we continue the dialogue and discussion um, rather than letting it fall by the wayside. I think the, the pressure of um, us as a society um, to have the, uh, have the, 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 the precautions, the, the policies, everything in place for the future, we, we can't forget about this once it's done. Um, so I'm hopeful. I really am hopeful. They are um, the next generation is going to be better equipped and better prepared to handle so many more uh, issues than we were prepared because society has changed and we have new knowledge and they're at the front lines of it. They're at the forefront of learning about it. So um, I am, I am really hopeful. Are you hopeful? Wow. Yeah, I am actually, truly. Um, um, by nature, I'm an optimist anyway, and yeah. I try to, you know, just temper that with being a realist too and seeing what's yeah. truly out there and trying to move from from one way of being into another without coming across like like Pollyanna because that's not very helpful either but yeah. to be able to say that you know finally after a very long time of trying to push the agenda of, of mental health and why it's important that we focus on on mental health especially as people forever were talking about you know, the holistic movement and teaching children holistically. I mean, we've heard that word used in so many different ways for such a very long time, but we've never really been able to actualize it uh, in, in practice. And to see that that's beginning to happen now, I think that when we look back on this time in 20, 40, 50, 100 years, that we're going to see that this really was a seminal time in in our societal existence in much the way that yeah. we've seen other times throughout history whether it was after the plague and then we had you know the renaissance even after you know, the spanish flu and then well there was what happened you know in the in the, the the 20s that was a little you know crazy but that certainly things began to accelerate and we saw a great growth in industry that, that there will be something that will emerge from this and how we treat it though that will be the, the real telling of the tale 
because it's yeah. not just saying good will follow bad. It's just that yeah. you're going to have some of both in all that, but there will be a real spurt, I think, of, of growth and understanding. And certainly that, that will include, I hope, mental health. I want to thank you so much for spending time thank with you. us this morning. It's really been uh, a joy to talk to you and, and to hear so much of the good things that you have been working with, with your students and how they're approaching life going forward as, as mental health professionals. And I wish you all the best, Robin Art, from the Myron Mahalo. B. Thompson School of Social Work at the University of Hawaii. Manoa, mahalo. Thank you so mahalo, much. Mahalo. And to all of you who joined us, thank you so much for spending another, oh, conversation with us just to look at how we move from anxiety to clarity, clarity on lots of different levels. And if you have a topic or if you have a suggestion for a conversation, send it in, please. My address is B. that's K-O-Z as in zebra, L-O-V as in Victor, B as in boy, at SutterHealth.org. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time from Anxiety to Clarity. Bye for Aloha. now. Aloha.